you are a first-time guest, we want to be sure to uh, be a blessing to you while you're here. So if you're a first-time guest, as the video said, please be sure to stop by the Welcome Center after the service. We've been going through this study of the church and on Sunday mornings, and we find ourselves here in chapter 26. And I know we've, we've talked about how there's been a couple different occasions where there's been messages, whether it's been Paul or Peter. Uh, Stephen, they've preached these messages that have been so profound and powerful. And we come to yet another time uh, where the gospel is going to be shared. And it is, I, I love this section of scripture. I love this, this uh, account that we have of Paul before yet another ruler. And if you were here last week, we just saw one point. The one point was this, the resurrection is the pivotal point in the gospel. We know that uh, it's so important, it's essential uh, that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and He died on the cross. He paid, a, 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 paid for our debt, something that we could never do ourselves. He made the atonement, the satisfaction, the propitiation for our sins in God's uh, righteousness for, for, again, for us on our account. And so uh, that is essential. That, that's the, a major point. It's, it's, it's essential in the gospel. We can't have one without the other. But the pivotal point is the fact that Jesus not only died for our sins, but that He rose again on the third day. And the reason why that is, is because He is God. And He overcame not just sin by living a sinless life and dying on the cross and paying for sin, but He overcame death. And now He can offer to all of those who believe in Him eternal life, a gift that only God can give. And so again, the resurrection is the pivotal point of the gospel. If you were here, you know that Paul's been in prison for two years now under two separate pro, uh, pro, uh, proconsuls or governors. And uh, the names of those guys were Felix and now Festus. And these guys are not very good rulers. They're honestly just trying to keep their jobs. One of them lost their job, Felix did. Now Festus is wanting to do the Jews a favor by simply giving Paul over to them. And again, we, talk, we said the fact that uh, he was wanting to do that wasn't necessarily just, but we saw what Paul did. Paul used everything at his disposal, and he appealed to Caesar. And uh, again, this is a, an amazing story because now he's, he's uh, having to go before the emperor Nero. And before he does this, the king from Jerusalem, Herod, and Bernice show up. They want to hear what's going on. And so here's what Festus told Agrippa in Acts chapter 25, actually, verse 19. He said this, but they simply had some points. Talk about the Jews... The Jewish leadership, the, the council, uh, they had these issues against Paul, and Paul and, and, and them had this disagreement uh, about their own religion. And here, here was the disagreement, and here's where we got our point, about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive, right? That was the problem, that was the issue, and again, that's the pivotal point of the gospel. Again, the point that Jesus died wasn't a huge point of contention then. Uh, they were happy to see Jesus die, many of them, the religious crowd. They wanted this guy, who they were calling a blasphemer, uh, to be dead. And when they, they saw him crucified, they felt satisfied. They felt justified that they got rid of this guy who was a rebel, who was, who was pulling a lot of people out of their way into the way. And again, there were those in the way still proclaiming that he not only died, but he in fact did rise from the grave and he was alone, the God who saves. And that was a major problem then, and still a major problem today. I had a conversation with a young man this past week, and uh, he had a hard time understanding Jesus is God in the flesh, that he came 
and he died for all of our sins. They had a, they had a hard time understanding that if, if Jesus is God in the flesh, then how could he create us? How could he be the creator and be in, in, in flesh? And a matter of fact, when, when we were talking through everything that God had done for, for us, and specifically for this young man that I was talking to, and when he was faced with his own sinful condition and the sinful condition of all mankind, which Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he said this, well, then no one is qualified for heaven. And I told, I told him, I said, man, I want to say this. I, I've talked to a lot of people, and I've shared this with a lot of people, and that's probably the best way that somebody's ever responded to this reality that all have sinned and all of us fall short of God's glorious standard. He said that no one's qualified. I said, you're 100% right. No one. Not even one person is qualified. That's why the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ alone. Faith in him, his death on the cross, and our place, his blood shed to, to make a payment for our sins, his burial and his resurrection from the dead. He tried to say and, and, and look at all the major religions that he had looked into, that they're all pretty much the same, he said. He said, what I found is I, I found that they all have God, they just have different names for him. And I said, no, 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 no. There's a major difference. There's a major, major difference. Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh, he came and he clothed himself in flesh that he created himself so that he would be the only perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. And he is the only one who's ever risen from the grave. Our God, the only one and true God that there is, is alive today. What the song we sing, Up from the Grave He Arose, man, that, if that doesn't get you fired up, again, this, this is still the contention. This is still the, the thing that's the pivotal point today when we share the gospel, we share this good news. And again, it goes back to the very beginning. When they were trying to say that, well, we're afraid that they're going to steal the body and then they go, to, go around saying that he's alive because he said that he would rise again the third day. But here we go, Paul has brought much controversy and preaching the gospel, preaching the resurrection from the, the grave, and much like today with controversy, it's brought a lot of attention and intrigue. Again, the king, Herod Agrippa, wants to know what's going on. And I've heard a lot about this Paul guy. He's been stuck in prison for two years now. I'd like to hear the story. I'd like to hear. This is entertaining, right? They didn't have social media then. This might be as close as they could get. They want to know, he wants to know the Jews. And so we look in Acts chapter 25, actually, the last part of it is we're going to get. It says, so the next day Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp. Of course he did. Herod Agrippa was full of himself. And he entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So again, you get the picture. Here's the king from Jerusalem, and he, he comes in, and there's a big ceremony. There's, there's trumpets. There's all kinds of dancers probably, and, and, and it's just a great ceremony when this guy enters the auditorium. At the time that he sits down, Bernice sits down, they're all there. Then Festus says, okay, bring in Paul. Bring the prisoner in. And Festus said to, this is what Festus said, King Agrippa, and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me. Both at Jerusalem they did this and here before this judgment. See, loudly declaring that he ought 
not to live any longer. Again, I, I know we read this like a story, but put yourself in Paul's shoes. He, he's not committed a crime. He, and, and, and every governor that he stood before have basically said that. They're not Basically, they did say that. I don't even know why this guy is here. I don't know why y'all want him dead. But it was obvious all of the rulers from Israel, all the Jewish rulers, wanted this guy dead. For simply preaching the gospel, and specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And again, I know we're so far removed from that. We've talked about that recently. We live in this amazing country. God has so blessed us. We are so, this is such a foreign thing. I was listening uh, even this morning as I was um, studying and praying and, and, and looking through some stuff. Um, I, I came across a, a little a testimony of, of someone that was, um, that escaped North Korea. And eventually the story is that she became a Christian. But through a lot of uh, trafficking there in China and then eventually made her way here to the United States for her to say, man, when I, when I stepped out of that airport in Houston, Texas, I saw what an amazing blessing it was to be here in this country. She said, you have no idea what it's like to not even know certain words. We have no words in our, in our language in North Korea that, that, that are for compassion or for love. I saw parents sitting with their kids and, and hugging them, and they were eating chips and hamburgers in the airport. And, and she said, just, just have no idea. There, there are certain words that we didn't even use. There, there are certain clothes you couldn't wear. There are certain things you couldn't do. And, and here we are in this nation, and there's this, this great debate on how, how bad it is. Man, God has so blessed this nation. And we better be careful, because I believe that the day's coming, as I said recently. The time is short. God has blessed us, and what have we done with that freedom? What have we done with those blessings? Have we just consumed them upon ourselves? Have we just used them for this life? Or have we used them for the eternal kingdom of God? This guy had, had been serving the Lord and pouring out himself for the kingdom, and, and he's getting less and less free as he goes. He said, look, I, they don't want him dead, but I found nothing. I, I, I found that they had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appeared to the, uh, appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. So that's the judgment. He appealed, so he goes. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. I have nothing definite to write to Nero. I have to send a charge with him because to stand before the emperor of all of the Roman Empire, you've got to have a reason to send this prisoner. Or what do you look like? You look like a, a, a goon. You can't even ju judge. You can't even determine what this guy deserves. Why'd you send him to me? So I've brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write, which is such a humorous thing to me. Again, you can imagine this guy is like, he, he don't know what to do. I got to send the emperor, uh, the emperor, I don't know what to write. So you investigate, you evaluate, you judge him, and then maybe I can gather something from your investigation that I can send with him. Agrippa said to Paul, all right, you're permitted to speak for yourself. Go ahead. Then Paul stretched out his hand. Remember, he was shackled probably at this point to a couple, couple of uh, guards. And he proceeded to make his defense. And this is what Paul said. In regard to all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today. Which is an amazing thought, amazing perspective. We'll get that to, in just a second. Especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Give me some time, and I'll explain what's going on. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, from, uh, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, 
And since, there have, since they have known about me for a long time, if they're willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by, our fa- made by God to our fathers. This is the reason. I was a Pharisee. I was, I was preaching and proclaiming. I was living for this law. Everything that the fathers, that God gave the fathers about the promise, that's why I'm standing. It's the hope of the promise. The promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I'm being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus. He kind of picks back up. He kind of a- asked that question to them, and then he picks back up to the, uh, on the story that he used to be a Pharisee among the strictest uh, sects of the Pharisees. And so he, he, he determined to be hostile against the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I, I'm sorry, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While so enraged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. But at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when they had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on, on, on your feet. For this purpose, I've appeared to you. I, to, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who've been sanctified by, by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to to those of Damascus first and then also at Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to the small and to the great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, which is phenomenal, right? This is exactly what the whole Jewish religion was was waiting for, anticipating. Paul said, look, all I've been doing is proclaiming what they expected to happen. It happened, and I've been proclaiming that, that the Christ, the Messiah, was to suffer, 
And that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, that he would be the first to proclaim, proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your, your great learning is driving you mad. Remember, this was the governor. And he's hearing Paul talk about this amazing truth, this gospel, the hope of the, the, the fathers and, and Moses and the prophets all culminating in Jesus Christ and him being, you know, the, 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 the sacrifice, the Messiah, risen from the grave. And Festus says, man, you're out of your mind. You've got all this learning and it's making you go crazy. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. He, he knows everything that's going on there in Jerusalem. And he says this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you'll persuade me to be a, become a Christian. And Paul said, I, I wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, King Agrippa, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and, and when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. So Agrippa said to Festus, this man might actually have been set free if he had not appealed to the emperor, he had not appealed to Caesar. The first point I want to bring out this morning is found in Acts chapter 26, the first uh, verse two, uh, 2 and 3, I'm sorry. It says this, in, in regard to all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today especially because you're an expert in all the customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul could have been at a place in his life where he said, man, how many times do I have to tell this story? How many times do I have to tell the story that Jesus Christ saved my soul? How many times do I have to tell this story that Jesus Christ is the reason why I live, the reason why I breathe, the reason I preach? Well, how many times do I have to tell the story that I was on my way to Damascus and this is what happened to me? How many times? Paul could have been put out with sharing what Jesus had done in his life. Paul could have been preoccupied and said, look, I already said it enough. Enough people have heard me. All these Jews they, that, that, have, that, that are trying to kill me, they've heard it several times now. He could, have, he could have done that. And he could have said, you know what? I keep running into this roadblock. I keep running into this obstacle. I keep running into this brick wall. Every time that I have this opportunity, it's the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And what I see in this is Paul comes to yet another obstacle. And I, and, and I think that he sees, here's another king. And he sees it not as only an obstacle, but I think he sees it as opportunity. I know many Leadership experts have used this in a certain way, but I, I have it like this in our notes. We must see obstacles in our lives as opportunities to glorify the King of Kings. So many times we run into different things, right? We run into issues, we run into to struggles, we run into something, a roadblock, a wall. We, we run into a situation, 
maybe similar to Paul, where we feel like we're repeating ourselves over and over and over and over. And that person is just not getting it, or that person just not receiving it, or that person just doesn't want Jesus, or whatever the case may be. And sometimes we get put out because we're having to say the same thing over and over again. Man, I tell my, my brother, I tell my sister all the time, I tell my son, I tell my daughter, I tell my parents, I tell my neighbor all the time, and it's like they just don't get it. I want to encourage you not to get put out, but you say, man, it's just, it's just an obstacle. I can't, yeah, no, see it as an opportunity to glorify the King of Kings. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, giving no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of, of the many, so that they may be saved. Philippians chapter 1, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether it's by my life or even my death. Again, we've talked about perspective throughout this study, and perspective is so important. I would say that we've said before, perspective is key in all of our life, right? We go through something, we come up to an obstacle, we come up to a challenge, we come up to a situation, a trial in our life, and, 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 and sometimes we say, man, this is, this is defining who I am. This is, this is ruling in my life. This is, this is controlling my life. And instead of that, I think that we should make sure that we have the right perspective so that we can see this obstacle, this roadblock, this wall, this issue, this trial, this, this difficulty as an opportunity to glorify the Lord. Oftentimes when we run into these issues, again, we, we allow them to define who we are. Well, how, how are you doing? Well... I'm dealing with this and dealing with that, and I'm dealing with this and dealing with that. It doesn't say that we ignore our problems. But so often we allow our problems to define everything and determine everything. Our, our circumstances become the arbiter in our walk and not the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again. So often our circumstances become the arbiter in our life and not the Holy Spirit. The one who determines, the one who directs, the one who's in control. Again, our circumstances, you say, how, how, what does that look like exactly? It looks like this. Our circumstances, our situations, our obstacles, our difficulties, our trials, they end up determining how we feel. And oftentimes they end up determining what we do or what we don't do. Paul could have been like, look, I am so tired of this. Just, I don't want to say it again. I don't want to share it again. You're the king. I've already appealed to, to, to Rome. I've already appealed to Caesar. I don't want to do it. Well, Paul, well, what's, what's the issue? I'm just tired of it. I'm just sick of the same old thing. I'm tired of the issues. I'm tired of always running to the... Look, they're not going to listen. They're not going to get saved. They're not going to repent. I, I'm just tired of it. Just send me to Nero and let me go on about my, my business. But again, we... It, maybe not just even sharing the gospel. But maybe there's other circumstances. Maybe it's financial Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's relational-related. There's so many times that we go through stuff, and that becomes the arbiter. That becomes the determining factor in what we do. It's difficult. What I'm dealing with, it's difficult. So I'm just not going to go to church right now. I don't feel like it. Did you hear those words? I don't feel like it. It's the same issue over and over and over. So, uh, again, I'm not going to tell them again. I, I don't feel like telling them again. You hear those words? I don't feel like it. It's a problem. 
You know, it's, it's an issue. It's, I, this is, this is a, a major thing, so I'm not going to be nice to them this time. I don't feel like it. Again, the circumstances, not the Holy Spirit, end up controlling our attitudes. And then, of course, that pours over into our actions. And I'm not trying to pretend that it's not a difficult thing to do. Like you're going through the real thing, right? You're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of the trial. You're in the middle of the struggle. You're in the, mi- the middle of, uh, of the issue. And I'm not trying to say that it's not something real that you're not dealing with. But what we see in Paul, and most, most pointedly, we see with our Lord is that we face all kinds of difficulty. And many times, recurring situations, recurring difficulties. But I want to encourage you this morning... We need to be who we are supposed to be in Christ. We need to remember to be steadfast in, in, on why we're here and what we're to be doing. Not allow our circumstances. There's going to be difficulty. There, there will be obstacles that come in our life. They will be physical in nature. They will be mental obstacles in nature. They will be emotional. We will face spiritual obstacles in our lives. And maybe there will be those times in our life where we face something that is all of those in one. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, all of them, all at one time. But the challenge is to see them as opportunities to glorify the Lord. That's the challenge. Paul now, how how many times does he have to say the same thing? How many many times does he have to give a defense of himself in light of the truth of the gospel? Can you put yourself in that situation? Maybe some of you can. You know, maybe some of you are nodding while ago when, when you know you've had that conversation with your son or your daughter. You've had that conversation with your brother, your sister, your aunt, uh, uncle. You've had that conversation with that lost friend or that family member or, or that coworker or that neighbor. And, and you've shared over and over and over and over and over. And there's no fruit. It doesn't seem like anything is happening. Again, it's almost like the Apostle Paul has been put on repeat. And yet there's no response. There's no fruit. Have you ever experienced anything like that? You've had that same conversation. You've tried to share with them over and over, and yet there's no movement. I say, yeah, I've, I've had that before. I've got, a, I've got a friend that, man, I just want to get saved. It's never. I've got a coworker. I've had lots of conversations. I've got a family member. Again, maybe you can put yourself there. Now I want, now I want you to imagine you've not been in your home for years, the comfort of your home. I want you to add the next layer that not only have you not been in your home, but you've been imprisoned for years. Not just been imprisoned, but you've been wrongly imprisoned by man's standard. Not only have you not been in your home for years, you don't, you've not seen the comforts of your home, but you've been imprisoned. And not only have you been imprisoned, wrongly accused, but I want you to put your, try to put yourself, it's difficult, Put yourself in this situation that you've been beaten. You've been stoned. People want you dead just because you've been loving them and sharing the truth of them. You've been lied about. People not only want you dead, but they're planning every way and every angle they can get to you so that you'll die. Be released and go back home and die. Go back to Jerusalem and, and stand before them again and you'll be ambushed and die. Move on to Rome and stand before the vicious Nero. And be a peon who doesn't really have any real charges on him and probably die. 
He confessed it's already admitted. I don't even know what to send to Nero. So your life, put yourself in the shoes. Your life hangs in the balance of uncertain circumstances. And everywhere you look, everything you do just becomes a more difficult obstacle. And in the middle of that, see the opportunity to glorify Christ. Right? Sometimes it's, it's little things for us. It's just little things. And then we want to quit. It's, it's a little struggle here in church. I'm just not going to go this week. Well, I, I, I'm just upset with this person, and I'm just upset with that person. And I, 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 I don't, you know, I'm just not going to talk to that person at work because they're, they're ugly to me. And just little things. We, we run into to little issues, and it's like we're not looking at all to an opportunity to glorify Christ. It's all about us. The circumstances, the issues, the obstacles. It's all about us, my comfort, what I want. Again, Paul had not even seen his home in years. He'd been in prison, falsely accused. He was, he was a, a dead man walking. He, all of these things been stoned, beaten, and it just gets more difficult for him. And in the middle of all of that, he's willing to say, okay, listen to me. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. The second point I want to bring out is found in verse 24 and 25. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent uh, Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. Point number two is this. We must passionately pursue and proclaim the truth. And I put in the parentheses, even if, and not just if, but when, others think we're crazy. Because if you are pursuing and you are proclaiming the truth, somebody's going to think you're crazy. The king, after hearing this beautiful the, the full counsel of God's word, marrying the Old Testament, the prophets, and, and the law with, with, with the New Testament, the new covenant, Jesus Christ. He, he, he says, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. You're going crazy, man. And Paul's response was simple. I'm, I'm not. I'm just proclaiming the truth and rationality. And that same conversation with a young man that I mentioned earlier this past week, uh, I explained to him, again, God, our creator, made himself flesh. And again, he had that hard time understanding how that was even possible. And he was, he was bordering, going back and forth on basically saying that I was crazy. <laughs> that that it, it, it doesn't seem possible that, that God, in his mind, above everything else, over everything else, would, would come in the form of his creation. Now, that, that's crazy to, to think. He never called me crazy, but it, his words kind of surrounded around that, that sentiment. And after the entire gospel was given, he concluded that no one was qualified for heaven. He said, then everybody's doomed. Everybody's going to hell. I encouraged him to read the book of John because he was struggling to, to connect the dots uh, but, you know, with Jesus being God incarnate. And I, I mentioned that it was a fourth book in the New Testament and a little bit of, little bit of humor here. He's, when I said, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, he said, Oh, no, no. I only read the old one. And I, I said, what do you mean the old one? He goes, no, I just read the Old Testament. And I said, well, well the New Testament is, is it's, all, it's all together. It's all one. No, no, no. I, I like the old one better. And, and I said, no, no, no. The, the New Testament is like the, the culmination of it all. It, it, it's all basically saying the same thing. It's all pointing to one person. He goes, exactly. Then why do I need the new one? 
And I said, no, no, no. I was trying to explain to it because he just wasn't fully understanding that like they're connected, they're together. He was thinking like there's a new, new edition of Scripture that you can embrace versus the old edition. And, and uh, he said, no, no, I only read the old one. I said, no, it's the same book. It's just the new covenant, the new, the new covenant. No, I don't like the New Testament. I don't like it. I said, why? What, what's the deal? He goes, well, the old, the old is good, right? I said, yeah, the old is good. He said, what's wrong with the old? I said, nothing. Nothing is wrong with the old. It points to the new, though. The New Testament, new covenant, the, the, old, the old Testament is the old covenant. Still wasn't having it. And I started to get a little tickled in our conversation. <laughs> but I was also struggling to get him to understand that the New Testament is essentially the rest of the story. He said he would read John even if it was in the New Testament. <laughs> I ask you to pray his young man's name is Ozzy. But I share that in the point here because Acts chapter 26, verse 6 through 8, and I'm almost done. It says, and, and now I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God our fathers in the Old Testament. The promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God Night and day, and for this hope, O king, I'm being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? And then in verse 19, he says, So King Rippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets in the Old Testament and Moses in the Old Testament said was going to take place, that Christ, Jesus, was to suffer. And that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, that he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. I think while we can, church, Christian, while we can, we need to seek the truth and proclaim it passionately. There may be a day coming soon that we're not going to be able to do it as freely as we can. And we need to do it now. And we need to proclaim it passionately, but passionately with love. Ephesians 4, 15 tells us that. It's a glorious testimony, a glorious opportunity that we have to stand and share the gospel with the lost. Paul had it there before a king. Again, Paul could have been weary. He could have been put out, but he passionately shared the truth. God worked in a king's life. I don't know that I'll ever have an opportunity to talk to a king, a president, a governor. But Paul talked to a king. God worked in his life, and he says, in, in a short time, you're, you're persuading me to become a Christian. And there may be people in our lives, they just need to hear this story. They just need to hear Jesus. They just need to hear, but we've got to passionately seek the truth, but also passionately proclaim the truth. Who are you proclaiming the truth to? Let's make sure that we're doing it while we have time. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity we have. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for giving us the truth. Thank you for this, this time that we've had to see this story and, and learn from it. I do pray that you would help us to see obstacles as opportunities to glorify you. I know there's, there's a lot of people in this room, in our church, that are they're dealing with a lot of different things, a lot of different struggles, a lot of different obstacles and trials. And I pray that every single one of us, even though it, it doesn't mean that the, they go away, 
but we would see them as an opportunity to glorify you, even if we're struggling. That you would be glorified in our, our thoughts. You'd be glorified in our attitudes. You'd be glorified in our speech and our actions. We wouldn't allow the circumstances to control us, but your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that we would, as we see in Paul, not only seek the truth, but proclaim it faithfully, even when it's difficult to do so. Lord, you've given us so many different outlets. You've given us technology, and we can travel faster than they could back then in, in Bible days. There's so many different things that are at our disposal that we can use to share the truth with, and I just pray that we would be faithful to do it. And I pray you just move now in this invitation. If there's somebody here, Lord, they're sitting there in that seat, and they're not positive where they're going to spend eternity. If they were to die today, they, they couldn't answer where they would go for sure. If there's somebody like that, God, I pray that they would move to this altar this morning. And they would ask, what do I need to do? I want to I go to heaven. How do, I, how do I do that? I pray you would just work in their heart this morning. They've heard the gospel. They've heard what you've done for them. I pray that they would just move. I ask you to just, just work in our, in, our, in our lives now. Help us respond rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.